This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to the ongoing and magnifying spending scandal at the BC Legislature. We're completely in the dark. When the clerk and sergeant-at-arms were suspended and marched out under police escort in November, both Gary Lenz and Craig James insisted they had no idea what they could have done wrong. The damage to my reputation is irreparable. The healing can only begin with my return to work. I am left in the position of not being able to respond because no one has told me what the allegations are. Nearly two months later, the Speaker of the House published a jaw-dropping report outlining questionable spending, including luxury hotel stays on work trips, expensive suits, plus thousands of dollars in missing alcohol, and a pricey wood splitter delivered to the clerk's house. You never want to be in a place where you say, oh, I've seen a single instance of wrongdoing. You have to be able to construct a pattern of activity. The pattern was established by Speaker Daryl Plekis. His official role is to act as referee between rival political parties in the legislature, but instead he was quietly documenting and observing the kind of spending that's hidden from public accounting. We're the people's house. We're there on behalf of the people, and it's their right to have access to the information. Following the report and the veil lifting on the secrecy of the allegations, reporter John Woodward tracked down the speaker at an event where Plekis was surprisingly open and candid. And I'm just hoping people will do something differently than has happened over the last few months and uh, you know cut me some slack in terms of you know where we want to be at the end zone here I mean the end game here is very clearly we want to fundamentally change our concept of transparency and openness. John we're not going to talk about this chronologically we're going to talk about the most recent thing that happened instead and that is uh, as we record this pod on Thursday afternoon um, you just yesterday had spoken with the Speaker of the House Daryl Pluckus had a announcement in Abbotsford and he spoke to a bunch of reporters and what amazed me with that availability is that he wasn't really scheduled to talk to us at all, uh, but he seemed to take every question that you threw at him, and he was there for, what, half an hour? I'd, yeah, half an hour, I think, is the best guess. I, I actually lost track because we couldn't believe he was still going and still being honest and, and relatively forthright. So we went down there kind of on spec because this was an event uh, for a new pedestrian bridge over Highway 1 that was in his riding of Abbotsford South. And it looked probable that he would show up to to you know be there to represent the provincial government, um, but of course there are no sure things in this. So we ended up uh, just going there, and, and uh, photographer Shelley Moore and I set up at the back, looking around. Didn't see him. Didn't see him. And then all of a sudden, there he was, just sitting in one of the chairs. Uh, pointed out by, I think it was uh, Ravi Kalon, another MLA, who said, "Oh, and Daryl Plekas has joined us through the back door." And I'm, you know, really sorry. I would like to apologize to the good people of Abbotsford because that was the moment where I knew I wouldn't be doing a story on that bridge. Uh, so we, we, uh, I, I think I was the only, no, there was me and, and uh, Jesse Johnson from the CBC and a number of camera photographers who had been, I think, sent out to cover the bridge looking at both of us saying, you're the reporters, you have to wrangle him. Well, wrangling, I guess, is one part of what we do. So as soon as the press conference was over, I went over and I said, excuse me, Mr. Speaker, a nice bridge. He said, yeah, I'm really happy that we could be here to unveil it. I'm glad that that's finally coming out. And I said, well, 
also something that's come out is this astonishing report that you have on the BC legislature officials and their expenses. And that's how it began. This this 30 minute free ranging impromptu speech press conference interview um, where uh, where we all got a, a really incredible earful. And I think that's what people don't realize a lot about the news business is that you will go trying to find somebody. Sometimes they won't show up. Other times somebody just kind of falls in your lap. In this case, you were hoping he'd show up, but you weren't sure. So you had to just be ready just in case anyhow. And I cannot believe how after months of being quite, um, I don't want to say secretive, but he was quite um, tight-lipped about what was going to happen. You know, he didn't want to talk about any details. And that's why he, he himself came under so much scrutiny. Uh, it was astonishing to see him literally answer every question in such a far-ranging interview. I, I, I was astonished. I, I just saw the whole thing, and it, it really is something that you rarely see, especially from someone like Plekis, who who was uh, not wanting to talk for, for weeks and weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's not too long ago, maybe November, when people were literally lined up, reporters were lined up outside his door, camping out, essentially, to hear anything after that uh, had happened when, when the two senior executives of the B.C. legislature were led out by, by law enforcement. And so there has been such pressure on him to live up to what was promised, essentially, was, I think in his words, uh, something so bad you'll, it'll make you want to throw up. Uh, I think he said make you want to puke. Make, make you want to puke. Sorry, i gotta got to do my quotes verbatim sometimes. Um, so, so so much pressure on him. And then also you had uh, figures in the Liberal Party like Andrew Wilkinson and Mary Polak is raising doubts about his inv- investigation and his ability to do it. So I remember Andrew Wilkinson called it a farce, said he was out of control, said that he was building his little empire, which is you know fairly over the top, but understandable when you understand the, the politics as da- Daryl Plekis being a former liberal um, and who who was at least one of the major factors in actually getting Christy Clark to quit. So there's no, I don't think there's a lot of love lost there. That, so that's kind of what's going on. And also the specter that somehow if they could get Daryl Plekis to quit as speaker, if they could get him to resign as MLA, that would change the numbers in Victoria. It's so close there right now, even losing a single MLA, uh, which is what would happen if the Greens or the NDP had to, had to put somebody up there. The, the, the place would be tied, which could lead to the fall of the government um, and could lead to, I mean, the, the fall of the government is pretty dramatic in and of itself. Before we get into a lot of what uh, Plekis had to say yesterday, um, I, I just want to tie one of his comments into your story from earlier this week. Um, he said he had, quote, months of utter pummeling from the media, uh, from critics, from all sorts of things. And he said that we need investigative reporting that, you know, journalists need to do more in terms of overseeing what happens, because if he wasn't such an ethical, nonpartisan person, maybe this wouldn't have all come out. But the problem is there are are limits to what we can do. Um, other reporters have been trying to get information about all sorts of spending at the legislature. And as you talked about earlier this week, nothing in the office of the clerk or the sergeant at arms, or I think even the speaker is subject to freedom of information or FOI requests. So here we've got the speaker telling us to do our jobs and do some investigation, but the mechanism isn't there for us to be able to get that information. So it's kind of hard to square that circle when he's asking us to do something 
that we're literally not able to do unless somebody leaks information, right? I mean, really, that's what it boils down to. Yeah, well, I mean, leaking, to be to be frank, is part of the toolbox of the reporter. And I think that there has been some really good investigative reporting um, done on this subject. But I also definitely see where Daryl Plekis was coming from, because if you if you backtrack a sec to that liberal Plekis dynamic, the, the liberals were saying all kinds of stuff about him. And you, you find yourself in a bit of a tough spot. These are people in power. Our job is to cover what's happening that day. Uh, how much can can you repeat what's happening that day without putting too much emphasis on it? I I remember um, one of my really popular tweets at that time actually was saying, "Look, you know the liberals are saying this, but understand the politics. Take everything they say with a grain of salt." Um, which which I a tweet that has st- stood up, I think, <laughs> stood up pretty well. Um, whereas you had other reporters, um, some of them being very, you know, very experienced legislature Peter, people running with with the liberal line, which would be essentially, you know, Daryl Plekis hired his crony Alan Mullen. It was a friend. They're, uh, you know, they're they've gone rogue, and and I I remember myself being very uncomfortable with that line, and made sure in our stories that we were very specific about you know not calling Alan Mullen a friend necessarily, but you know a former. Uh, I believe it was a former constituent volunteer is what, how we how we describe it. Well, I believe Mullen called himself a friend because he was specifically asked, because I was there for a number of those days, and he asked if he was a friend of the speaker, and he, he said that, yes, he would consider himself that way. So I think a lot of the stuff, not to mention, because I was there for the couple of weeks when this was all really starting to hit the fan, and we were trying to get information from all sorts of people, including the MLAs that are there, and the moment that we found out that there's an RCMP investigation, that there's you know criminality potentially being investigated here, everybody just completely buttoned up because nobody wants to get in the way of that and and have a problem. So whether that is justified or not, could they have still said stuff? Absolutely. But they chose not to, and they were able to hide behind that or at least use that as a reasonable excuse to the average person to not say anything. So I'm sure lots of people had inklings about what was going on, but the moment criminality was implied... First of all, I'm, you know, those are not my people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, but it was incredibly hard. It was all just the RCMP has it, can't talk about it, and that was completely it. So just the atmosphere of that time once these allegations came out, you couldn't get any information from anybody. It was really hard. Well, it was the old the old tactic of Wally Opal who was known in some circles as Stone Wally <laughs> because that was what he would say. That's all right, before the courts, you know, can't talk about it, can't talk about it, let alone that the open court principle is fundamental and the ability to talk about what's in court is fundamental. I mean, it's constitutionally protected. So uh, so you've got a lot of funny games that are being played. My sense is that I, I don't think necessarily Daryl Plekis was doing it as cynically as some of the other people have seen. If you look at the report, there's a lot of stuff there that could be construed as fraud. But I think he he really did go too far in, in not explaining anything about what was happening. I mean, for those two executives, given the information we've had, it would have been reasonable to assume they had been investigated for all kinds of crimes that are are uh, I don't want to say worse than fraud but there are some violent or sexual crimes that we it could have been and it would have been very helpful if if somebody had said these are related to public finances and that I think would have damped down the pressure a lot and it would have also given us uh, as reporters some some place to look and there was a lot of looking that was done um, whether it was looking at total expenses or travel expenses or other other things like that. But as you said earlier, we can only see the totals. We can't see the receipts 
Freedom of information allows us to see the receipts on almost every other government body, public body in the province. I remember doing a story about Diane Watts going to Israel and FOI'd her expenses. It turned out she hadn't just gone to Israel. She'd gone to Istanbul for a, a girl's trip in a fancy hotel. Things like that are possible with FOI. You can really use it as a tool to track the expenses of these um, public officials and public servants. But in the legislature, it's a black hole. And you're not going to get it. There's, there's no legal mechanism short of a leak, um, which I guess is not a legal mechanism. Uh, but, that, the, but we've seen now the, the implication is that people did try to speak up. They did try to bring uh, these allegations to somebody's attention. And it sounds like right now the suggestion is that a couple of people lost their jobs over this. So why would somebody else go to a reporter with that information when they've seen somebody else be penalized for trying to speak up for something that they thought wasn't right? So, you know, whistleblowers and, and people leaking stuff, yeah, that, that's great in terms of being able to shine a light on this. But when you think that it could come at the expense of being able to put food on the table for your family in a, in a city like Victoria, where so many people work for government, I can't blame people for not coming forward when they're risking their livelihood by doing so. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, I mean, if you if you look at how the report lays out, and obviously these are allegations and so on, and, and the pair of them, the, the, the clerk and the sergeant in arms have denied it, but if you look at how it lays out, it, it sounds as if somebody has a problem and they're let go without cause, nothing is said, and, and they're out on the curb thinking, yesterday I had a great job with a venerable institution of the B.C. government, and now I don't. And that is powerful. And, and we use the word clerk to describe Craig James, but a, a more sort of apt description of him is the CEO or the president of that organization. That's a lot of power. Um, that means that he's hiring and firing. That means he's the one a lot of the time who's overseeing uh, his own expenses. Or in some cases, it would be the sergeant at arms approving his expenses and vice versa. And it does seem as if the two of them had a, a rapport that meant that they could back each other up. Was there any problem? So at one point, there is there is a concern about one MLA approving both mileage and taxi receipts. And the way Plekis lays it out, both of them come to her defense and say, well, it wasn't, wasn't really. It was just one or two. Don't worry about it. Back off. Unless you have access to the documents, how can you, how can you easily diffuse that kind of defense? They're the boss. They're the executive in the head. And then really above them is the LAMSI, Legislative Assembly Management Committee. But that meets, uh, I'm going to forget the statistics, I think it was three times in the last three, 18 months, something like that. It was very, very rare to meet it. And, and when you consider that it's a $80 million budget out of a province that's almost $50 billion, I can see why it didn't take up a lot of their time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's... A fundamental problem in in the structure of of the oversight there, uh, and and you know, is it any wonder that it's been you know at least two auditor general reports, a third auditor general report that was supposed to happen that never did because of because John Doyle didn't get rehired. The these are this is not an easy veil to pierce. So I think it's first of all I, I think it's incredibly courageous for these people who who spoke to Daryl Plekis to describe that they had been fired or or the one um, the one employee who was able to hang on to that HR report that described this kooky retirement uh, plan that was supposed to have ended in the eighties and yet mysteriously carried on like a zombie doling out two hundred and fifty seven thousand dollar checks that's that's a that's tough so. Um, yeah, I, I, I really think that given my experience with FOI and knowing that how it works to pull those receipts out, 
honestly, if we'd been able to see that Craig James had been had been doing um, uh, the uh, assured loading on the ferry, one hundred and fifty five dollars instead of a ten dollar reserve ticket, he'd be spending fifteen times what your average citizen would do on one trip. That is a story. He's done thirty six here that they can keep track of, and that isn't even the biggest expense. So the the power that FOI had in, is is very good, and the the fact that it's a black hole means I don't think they thought anyone was going to see these receipts ever. And you're a resident FOI expert, so you know. <laughs> I mean, I sit next to John just so that the listener knows, and I have a little bit of an inkling into his workflow, and I don't want to give away too much of the secret sauce. But he's a very organized guy, and he puts out a lot of FOI. So if anyone's going to know, it's you. But I just wanted to go back to a previous point that you made about um, about Plekis and being so tight lipped and, and not saying anything because. When I was there at one point in Victoria, he was quite terse with reporters. I think what you people need to do is understand that when you talk about investigations, it's a huge continuum, and one of those is called due diligence. And I, I'm thinking that you might want to do some of your own. Now we're hearing that, you know, he wants us to do it more, which is great, but I'm still baffled why he felt that two senior executives, the top two executives at the legislature, being marched out under police escort was not going to prompt people to ask what was going on, why is this happening, what are you accusing them of, because they swore up and down at that press conference even a week later that they had no idea, no inkling, no anything. So it's I, I just still find it really puzzling that Plekis is so upset with us when something so unprecedented happens in a public arena like that. How could we not want to find out what's going on and look to him who where the allegations are stemming from to get those answers? That, that, that's still... I'm still having a tough time wrapping my head around why he's upset with us for for trying to do our jobs that day. I mean, he said that he he felt like when he was walking around his own riding, he was looked like he was a cancer on society. Uh, I think that's that's tough on a guy and his family. But then say something. Why did we have to wait until this week? I don't understand. If he knew that this was going to happen, you don't have to have a crystal ball to see what the fallout is going to be. Have everything ready. Have everything ready so that you can say, bam, here's the 76-page report and everything else. Why did he have to march them out before this point? We still don't have an answer to that. He's one man. He's got he's got the two executives next to him that he's deeply suspicious of. He calls his old old friend and, and colleague, Alan Mullen in, it's just the two of them against, uh, you know, uh, this, this enormous, uh, enormous legislature building. Um, they, they slowly start talking to these fired people and they slowly, you know, amass these reports. But it, it does, in their defense, it takes time to get this evidence when it's just these, it's just a small number of people trying to, try, trying to go against what, where, what are we, 2019, eight years of, uh, of Craig James. And I'm, yeah, you're you're probably right that the public relations aspect of letting people know what this is all about was probably secondary to them as opposed to just cutting things off as soon as they could, uh, you know, turn off the tap before any more water flows out of that. Like, you're, you're probably right that that was the last thing on their minds. But they have personally paid the price for that scrutiny and for that criticism for not thinking the next step, what happens after these guys are removed from office. Yeah, and so and so, I think it is a real a real unfortunate knee jerk reaction that tends to happen in this province, which is the public is the last to know. The public does not have a right to know, and the end result. Uh, and I and I had some good quality debates with people about this. The end result of not being transparent was that his own office became a target. We didn't do that. 
the liberals certainly had a hand in that, and, and that reporting was done. But you ask people out on the street, and people Pleca said he ran into himself. They're the ones who are questioning, what is this guy even doing? And the, the, the bedrock of the support of that office comes from the people who trust them uh, and, who, and who believe in what they're doing, and that trust comes from transparency. So it, we had a very real dynamic that was with a weak institution like the Speaker's office trying to make some very strong allegations. You found the pushback against that office was so significant that it, it was a real possibility that the Speaker would no longer be the Speaker or that the Speaker would – or the government would fall and all of this would go away. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it, actually a good metaphor is the media. We don't have power I can't go and arrest somebody. I can't tell someone to do something. But what I can do is I say, hey, I found this stuff out. Here's how I did it. Let me show you it on TV yourself. And it's it's not anything that I have. It's the fact that I'm able to pull up receipts or documents or what have you and say, hey, public, this is what I've discovered. I'm being as transparent as I can with you. And that's the power of the media, to shine that light. We're not inventing anything. We're, we're just refocusing had the speaker taken a bit more cues from from that attitude rather than hunkering down completely asterisks it's probably a good idea to take some time and write that report and do it right good idea but had they said this is about public dollars this is about expenses my goodness the whole thing would have been different yeah cuz they at the time they just said it was related to their administrative duties but there's such a huge range in that that you can't infer anything from that at all. Um I did find it interesting as well that Pleka said that his end goal in all of this is vindication for the employees who were terminated for um or or poorly treated for bringing up uh, concerns, getting money back for the taxpayers that has been um, misappropriated, allegedly, uh, and then just future transparency. So I, I think that those, you know, kind of three main goals that he has as a result of all of this, those are laudable goals. And no matter how this has played out and, and the controversy and, you know, the scrutiny on himself and his office, you know, I think, I, I don't want to speculate for him, but I imagine that at the end of the day, if he is able to weather the storm and bring about those changes, he'll feel like it was all worth it, even though it's been kind of a twisted path to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, th- this is this is the uh, the you know undefeated problem of uh, the past decade in the legislature's office, going back all the way. Uh, 10, 10 plus years ago, where there was no information. And the Auditor General said, I can't even find anything. I have no idea what's going on when it comes to legislature spending. To Muffin Gate and, you know, going to South Africa and bringing your husband, as Linda Reed did, and she repaid $5,500, uh, $5, yeah. And, and, and yet, after report, after report, after report, not, you know, nothing seems to change. We never seem to get the actual transparency. In a way, we've got a, a real optimistic shot here in that you have an independent speaker, not answerable to either party, who seems to take a deep interest. As he, as he said in the interview, I'm a criminologist and I see things that um, that other people might not be as inquisitive about. I have a moral compass. I want to do right by you know my own reputation and 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 look his family in the eye and so on. That's a that's a powerful motivation and that's something we haven't had explicitly in the speaker's office for well since i've been reporting anyway it's always been somebody within the party and so if if he's good to his word and so far i mean look at that report it sounds like he is then we could be seeing some real change but again it's uh the nanaimo by-election is next week you know we could have a very unstable government we could lose the ndp speaker uh, daryl plekis could run and lose as an independent which tends to always happen in this province uh things could look different 
You're foreshadowing future podcasts right now, John. <laughs> well, I've got to keep you in, in uh, work. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Benny. You, you know, once people get into the weeds, as they will down the road, uh, and more and more becomes clear, uh, they will see that this is an outrageously complicated situation. Uh, and we're just going to have to... Waited out a bit here uh, because there there is definitely more to come here. I'd also like to thank Dylan Baker for his help with archival audio this week, and thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me bts at ctv.ca, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daflos.